0: Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. On this episode, we answer all your listener questions from the summer that was, talk about the commitment of Malik Renal, who was designated a five-star today, in the latest update to the 24-7 composite, first commitment for Florida's 2022 class, breakdown of his game, um, and, you know, look ahead to uh, what we expect some of Florida's rotations to be in the fall, best defensive lineup, Just a number of great listener questions. So we hope you enjoy it. Enjoy Alabama weekend, a really special weekend in the swamp. And uh, enjoy Brad Beal as Mr. Two Bits, which should be fantastic. Take care. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, among many other places. Eric, it's been a hot minute um how are things going man
1: things are things are great it's good to be back on the podcast after a brief dead period so uh it it made me feel good honestly to see people tweeting at the show hey when are you going to record another show um I, i i thought maybe people would be good for a break but uh Uh, No, as you know, it's David Waters would say, never a dull moment in Gator Nation. People need their podcasts. Uh, We are sorry that uh, it took us a little while to get to one. Um, But Neil has uh, a lot of big things going on in his life. I've got a couple of things in mind. Needed a quick break. And now we are definitely back and we're going to have an awesome show today, Neil. I can just uh, I can feel it.
0: I can feel it. And I think we're locked in for for the season here. Getting back into the swing of things less than two months away from there being college basketball, which is exciting. Obviously uh, you might've heard that there's a pretty big game in in Gainesville this weekend um, with the Alabama Crimson Tide dynasty uh, rolling into town to take on a young Gators team. So we'll see what the, what Dan and the guys have in store. The swamp should be rocking sold out. Of course um, that's going to be, that's going to be exciting.
1: That's going to be a big one. I mean, uh, I know this is like in the grand scheme of um, Gator sports, pretty low on the list, but hey, Denzel Aberdeen, a point guard that Florida has visiting this weekend. Uh, he's a name that, uh, that I, I'm hearing has some kind of a, a chance to commit. I don't think we really need to get into him much on this podcast, but uh, I, hey, I know that uh, people will be thinking football all the way. And, you know, hey, quite frankly, I will be too. As much as I'm definitely basketball first, I, I love me some Gators football. But uh, yeah, Florida, Florida does have a pretty interesting visitor in in Denzel Aberdeen, um, a six foot four physical, tough, really responsible point guard. So uh, maybe we're talking about him next podcast. Who knows?
0: Yeah, we could be. And he's a guy that's picking up like his offer sheet is improving. Um, You know, I would say that as well. I saw, I think he got a Minnesota offer. I think he got an Ohio state offer uh, recently. So, you know, getting some B1G offers where they love those big physical guards. Uh, So, hey, man, if you're going to have an official visit, like you should do what Denzel Aberdeen's doing. Get an official visit where part of your visit is, hey, here's a ticket to the Florida Alabama King.
1: (laughs) And he is uh, he is an Orlando kid. So uh, it's, uh, you know, very well could have made it. Made it up for a few, you know, unofficials here and there, but this is his official visit. He visited <laughs> officially. Um, oh, who did he visit? He uh, Georgia Tech and and one other. I can't think of it. But Florida is his last official visit. Um, at least that he has scheduled um, the fact that you know he's from Orlando, but used still used one of his official visits on Florida because you know you normally see an Orlando kid use his official visits elsewhere and then just come yeah. on his own dime to um, to Florida. Um, but you know maybe the fact that it's official uh, makes it you know makes it a little more serious here. But like you said, that's a, that's an expensive ticket he's getting, so so that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, uh, again, don't need to get into it too much on this podcast. But uh, his teammate is also a six foot ten, top thirty player in the class, big monstrous. Center. So uh we'll see. And Florida's in on him as well. So, you know, package deals hardly work out in college basketball. So whenever there's a possibility for one, I kind of just like roll my eyes because people people love the idea of package deals. They don't actually see that the history of college basketball doesn't have too many of them. Um, you know, I remember when it was like, oh, it's is Florida gonna get all the team Rio kids and get Brian Antoine alongside Alex Klatsky yeah. and Scotty Lewis, and of course that, that didn't happen, but Anyways, big weekend. Neil, you've been pumping out the football writing. Uh, you had some great stuff on the Alabama game, so uh, people should definitely check out Neil's stuff um, in anticipation of that if they haven't already.
0: Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. So, yeah, uh, Tracy, it's good to be back too. It's nice to see you uh, here. We are um, going to start with, with speaking of recruiting, uh, really the first big fish for Eric Pastrana. Don't want to take away from Mike White and um, Al Pinkins, who I know – we're, we're in on it too, but Eric Pastrana, lead recruiter, Malik Mont Montverde, commits to Florida. Florida kind of gets back into the Montverde connection there. Um, when it happened, I think neither of you nor me, because uh, full disclosure, guys, like Eric and I watch a lot of basketball, a lot of basketball. But when it comes to watching recruiting sometimes, like recruiting videos, usually Florida has to be pretty close to landing a kid before I start. So it's always a process afterwards. Your initial thoughts on Malik Renaud, a very high four-star player, going to be a top 50 player uh, that the Gators uh, land. And, and nice to see Florida get back into Miami. Even though he's a Montverde kid, he comes from, from Hialeah, uh, right there in the middle of Miami, which is really where – Billy Donovan started building the program from 305, as Tracy put it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Pastrana's is going to keep cooking there. I mean, it doesn't matter if he's coaching at Florida or somewhere else. He's going to keep pulling players from there. So I, I and, and as much as, um, you know, you don't want to overreact to an assistant coach getting, you know, one player. I mean, Florida has brought in assistant coaches to recruit certain areas of the country and it hasn't happened. And they haven't been able to get yeah. the high level players from the area of the country they were supposed to recruit to and hey, Pastrana came in and did exactly what he was supposed to do. And that's more than what a lot of assistants have done and and, and do across the country. So I I think it's really awesome for Pastrana to come through um, landing a massive recruit right away. And I mean, that's, that's the one thing I'll start with. And you know, with the Montverde kids, they can be really tough to evaluate. We've seen that kind of all over the place because they're so loaded with talent. So you see some players that probably aren't as good getting overrated because they look really good playing next to really good players. Um, again, I is, was Omar Payne, was he someone who was overrated a little bit or, you know, in his ranking? I would say probably yes. Uh, was he a great player? Is he a great player? Yes, obviously. Probably not, like, the top 40-ish player that he was rated to be. Then you also see, like, Moses Moody, someone who drops to, like, being, a, you know, it's 50th-ranked player-ish ranked player in the class. We found out later he was much better. And, again, it's just it's a tough evaluation seted, setting. But man, um, I I think Renault is is very very good. I think he's a five star talent, and that was something that just became apparent to me um, right away. We'd start talking kind of the intricacies of, of his game, but Neil, right off the bat, I'll I'll kind of ask what you think about that kind of the evaluation, like how you evaluate these these kids from a powerhouse like Montvert, and how uh, how good you really think he he kind of is, and what his ranking is in kind of your mind. So I mean, I think the biggest
0: thing with Montvert is you know that they're getting high-level competition in practice. There's not a Scotty Lewis-type scenario where – because it can work it can work both ways, right? Like there's no Scotty Lewis scenario where at Rainey he's not really playing elite competition except a few times a year or um, in his AAU, any of those setups, right? Like that's when they're getting the better competition. But with a guy like – for now, you know that he's getting it in practice all the time. Andrew Nimhard, same way. In the, in the one vein where Omar Payne may have been a little overvalued, maybe Andrew Nimhard, and I say this even though he was a five-star player, like no one thought that Nimhard was – a like it was just he's a distribution point guard. He's not necessarily going to offer much offensively. That hasn't really been true. Now, he's not a great offensive player, but certainly at Gonzaga and at Florida, he's proven he can score, and at Florida – as a sophomore, he was kind of the guy, for better or worse, that Florida relied on uh when they needed a bucket. Um, and I, I think so. I think Andrew Nimar was probably a little better. I know maybe that's a hot take on this podcast or in our fan base, uh, but he may have been a little better than advertised, in my view. So it's it is. I think your point is right though. It's a tough evaluation. For me, I like the way that we're now is just really fundamentally sound. That's what you notice on video. He's a good passer. He's a good rebounder. His rebounds aren't like pure athleticism rebounds. Like he gets in good position. You know, he boxes out. Well, he gets his rebounds. He gets a lot of cleanup points, which is a good way to figure out how to score at Montverde where they're always going to have talented scorers. He is not that like, I would be kind of surprised if he came as a freshman and hit any jump shots. But I do think He's a really smart guy who's going to score at the bucket. Um, And, you know, I think I texted this to you pretty initially. To me, he's kind of like a 2.0 version of Justin Leon. Like, if you could hit upgrade on Justin Leon and just have him like in a five star body, this is kind of what Malik Renow is to me. Um, And lastly, I promise I'll end this rant to everybody that listens to hear Eric talk. I think he's a building block to other pieces in this class. Like I think Bryce Sintava is going to choose between Florida and Alabama, six six wing from Orlando. Uh, I don't know if he's wing this weekend to Florida, but I would imagine Florida Alabama would be a game that would intrigue him. Um, you know, I think that this is a nice building block because it always helps to land that high four star, borderline five star that Rinal is, um, and then Florida can kind of. Mind that area where there is sensible where there is jalen martin where there is aberdeen so i think you know a really good first piece for what will be a larger recruiting class than than we've seen the last couple of years
1: yeah i mean if i was a player in high school or whatever high level recruit that, that Florida is going after um i totally want to play next to him because he's such a good passer that's one thing that I, I kind of noticed watching him playing with such high level players at montford is he was extremely unselfish and he was not just unselfish and willing to give the ball up. It was like giving just dribble handoffs back to guards. It was him making really nice reads, skipping it across to shooters on the other side of the floor, finding guys on backdoor cuts. Uh, really good passer. And you, you also look at his size, you know, six, eight, 200 pounds, though he probably, you know, looks a little bit bigger. But you could see him playing the 5 and you could see him playing the 4. Uh, Florida is still going after some really good centers in the class. So that maybe suggests to me that they they think he could play the 4. And if you're a really good center in this class, I would look at, I, I would look at him and say, like, yeah, I'd absolutely want to get in the frontcourt with him. He's an awesome passer. He's skilled. He can stretch it out a little bit like you said. We'll see about the jump shot. But um yeah, Florida's still going after some some really high-level centers. And uh uh yeah I could totally see them playing alongside but I, I think the floor is just gonna be really high for him just because if, if nothing else, he's going to rebound, he's going to play responsibly uh, and he's going to show some nice touch around the rim on, on, you know, dump off passes and, and stuff like that. He just, like you said, Neil, he's just so fundamentally sound and, and, and so smooth. And then, you know, upside is, is, is through the roof because uh you're already seeing, uh, flashes of scoring ability from a player of that size off the bounce and that that you just don't normally see. And that's the that's the reason why I think he's going to end up being a five-star. Watching him on the EYBL in the finals, I thought he was one of the best players I saw, um, which again, he went up against the best and he's one of the best players on the floor. And uh, yeah, it's almost too bad that he wasn't already rated higher because then this would be an even more exciting Commitment for for Pastrana and and Gator fans to see, but I think ultimately we're looking at this and it's a it's a five star player and it'll be kind of like a clear five star player and I hope everyone can get equally excited and, and see just what Pastrana did.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I think like like I said, yeah. I mean, I do think it's a building block too. Like I think Bryce Sensabaugh is a really important piece because Florida just needs they're going to need to sign a six 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 seven wing that can get to the basket and score and like. He's that, and I'm sure NATO's is recruiting him on system, system, system. But uh, you know, there's fun pictures on the internet of Sensabaugh and Gator stuff as a little kid, and like I feel like you know it's one of these deals where he's going to have to decide between dream school and you know maybe best basketball fit. And I say that because we did a whole podcast not long ago on what Florida should do offensively, and until I see an offensive identity, I can't say. They're a perfect fit for Bryce Sensabaugh, but, um, you know, I do think that's a battle that Florida will be in. And when you land a kid like Malik Renaud to start your class, that's a huge deal. So uh, really good stuff. And I agree. I mean, I think this is just the beginning for Eric Pastrana. I do think Florida will will, uh, take several players as well. So uh, any additional thoughts on that before we move on to what is a large amount of listener
1: questions. (laughs) I know we better get to those uh, listener questions.
0: All right. We're going to like just work backwards through these mostly because I don't want to scroll down terribly long into the, the abyss on the Twitter feed, but looking at the mentions um, at Florida committed ask, he'd like to hear both our thoughts on where we think the starting five is right now and how big we think Mike White's rotation will be to start the season.
1: Uh, well, I've said it in the past. Um, I will say it again now. I think that the starting five I would like to see is going to be different than the starting five we will see uh, on game one, at least. So the starting five I would like to see is Tyree Appleby, Myron Jones, Quasey Reeves, CJ Felder, Colin Castleton. Um, the starting five, I, or, you know, I'd love to also see Keontae Johnson at the four, but I will, uh, uh, omit him for the time being. Um, the starting five, I think we are going to see is Tyree Appleby, Myron Jones, or sorry, let's back this up. Tyree Appleby, Brandon McKissick, Myron Jones, Anthony DeRuji, Colin Castleton. I think we've just seen over and over again that, that white would rather play three smaller guards at once. We haven't really seen I, I mean at the same time he has certainly not had a wing like like Quasey Reeves um to really kind of put out there. Um so maybe this changes things. But I mean looking at the way that he has chosen to pick his groups the last couple of years, it would just suggest to me that going the three guards is, is probably most likely. And uh we've also seen that uh that White likes to play a little bit more smaller and and I guess uh, skilled at the four so so looking at a fifth-year player like Daruji, I, I just could see him getting the nod over C.J. Felder. So that's who I I think should start, and that's who I think will start, at least on night one.
0: Myself. I muted myself. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I tweeted out uh, that I, you know, maybe mine was wishful thinking. I just think... At some point, Mike White's going to start a guy like Kowasee Reeves. He's going to start a freshman on night one and just be like, whatever, let's do it. One reason I think he might do it this year is because they are so old. So, you know, if you have a talent like Kowasee, you can put him out there with a bunch of seniors. Why not? Um, So I think, yeah, Gut Gator says that would be one of the oldest starting fives in the country. It would, which would be. A lot different than the one that beat a team full of pros in the NCAA tournament a couple of years, and was uh, the youngest starting five in the NCAA tournament, um, including over over younger than Kentucky that season in the in the NCAA tournament. So, um, just by average age, which is always a fun thing to bring up when people always talk about John Calipari's press conferences. Well, we're just so young, um, you know. We're gonna do stupid stuff anyway. So, I, I think it's gonna be. Appleby, Myron Jones, Kowasi Reeves, C.J. Felder at the four, um, and Colin Castleton. Wouldn't be stunned if Anthony DeRugge, um was the starter at four. I think his rim running is kind of important to, to Florida's idea of wanting to be a transition offense and Tyree Appleby's fast. So uh, certainly with him as the exclusive primary point guard, maybe they do look to get a little more up-tempo yet again. Uh, this season, we'll see. I think they're going to want to avoid half-court offense, at least in their motion offense, because I'm not really sure. Uh, or certainly, I don't think they can be exclusively relying on pick and rolls like they were for a time last year, Eric. Because with Trey Mann being such an elite pick and roll player, now I kind of wonder, who's that player? Another maybe argument for and Reeves, if he can play in that. Thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean... Until we kind of know exactly what Florida is going to do offensively, it's it also makes that a little bit tougher to know exactly what Florida is going to do with their starting group. I think we know what they're going to do defensively. Their defense has looked extremely similar from six years ago to against Oral Roberts. Um, so it's, it's a little easier to project exactly what they're going to look like on that end. So you can kind of say that's where it's like, well, they haven't really played a CJ Felder at the four much. Then it's been largely because of defensive kind of, is switching reasons so um that's why it's a little tough for me to expect it to happen even though i i think it probably maybe should or i i think i would like that but yeah offensively we'll see and i've, I've heard a couple things kind of here and there and i do think there's going to be some changes but um instead of kind of saying what I've heard I think I'll just maybe wait until we see on night one and then I'll you know we'll, we'll break it down but uh, we'll see exactly what it is but if if Florida is just in need of guys who can make plays and, and make shots I mean Kwasi Reeves is going to be someone you need on the floor but you know as much as we also want to talk about who the, who the starting lineup is going to be on night one um, I, I think we would both bet that the first sub is coming earlier than two minutes into the game um, we saw that when Florida wasn't a deep team and this year they're much deeper oh that actually reminds me too that I guess the, the part Part of the question was how deep is Florida going to go um, much deeper than recent years for sure I mean Flan Fleming isn't on either of our starting lineups he's someone I think is going to uh, get significant run I, I mean uh, Niles Lane is someone I think we both think is going to get significant run and he's not in any of our starting lineups and then yeah whether it's you know I think Brandon McKissick's going to come off the bench um, but uh, or I think he should come off the bench but man that's going to be someone who is worth worthy of you know a big role so I, I think it's going to be a, a deeper team than we've seen recently and um honestly i'm pretty excited for it because yeah some of these uh, uh, of course uh throughout the last couple of years especially last year i've i've loved lineup data and analysis and bringing that up and yeah a lot of florida's non-starting lineups got killed and i don't think that's going to be the case this year um florida's gonna like their six to nine players a lot better than a lot of opponents six to nine players and uh, i'm looking forward to florida winning some of those shifts that they've uh, really been losing the last couple of years
0: yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I do think it'll be nine players too, for many of the reasons that Eric talked about. I'll guess save some of these other points for other listener questions because there's always a little bit of overlap um, when we get to these things. Anthony long longtime listener, asks: late to the party, but two or three guys have made big physical gains in the Preston Green part portion of the season. Uh, JJ for one, if projecting or modeling will or do muscle gains correlate to improvement in specific stat categories
1: wow Ooh, Such what a, a good question oh i love that he also said modeling um this is next level because uh i you know i've dabbled i've dabbled uh it's not something that i've i've totally been able to Find something that totally works but i'll I'll say anecdotally um when players get stronger i I think a lot of what you're really looking at is um is their ability to finish on the inside that's something you you really see um from players as they get they get stronger physically is is uh they're really they're they usually get better at finishing on the inside um and also you just see an increase in shots in the paint and you can kind of say one that's maybe oh they're you know, physical drives, letting guys ride on their shoulder a little bit and getting to the hoop where they're more comfortable of, of putting up shots. Um, so that's something I see. I mean, I, I, I think that size and like muscle is underrated when it comes to perimeter defense. Um, if Nowhere else you're going to see that better than the SEC where it just seems like there's always so many physical guards that get downhill, give you that first bump and create space that way. There's so many good guards at doing that in, in the SEC. It seems like, it seems like Ole Miss always has one of those guys just barreling down the rim, creating space with, by, by creating that first impact. And again, if you're a lighter player, you take that first impact and you go backwards. But um, if you have a little bit more bulk, you can kind of take that hit and stay with them. So I'll say, you know, something that I think is anecdotally, but I've been trying to find numbers for it is, uh, uh, is, is finishing at the rim and getting paint shots. And I'll say underrated and a little bit anecdotal is perimeter defense.
0: Yeah, I, um, I just, I'm I i just, not going to add much to that other than to say I think Jason Jatobo does look really good in some of the videos and things that we've seen. I've also heard that he's in shape. A big part of it is he's healthy. I mean, he's had surgeries, COVID, all kinds of stuff going on. Nothing serious on the surgical front, but any of that means you're not conditioning, which for somebody that's Jason's size is – a problem. Jason is really skilled. I think Eric and I both agree about that. Like in terms of his hands, his ability to move in the post established position offensively, he's very skilled. That's, it's always going to be interesting with him defensively. Um, but certainly somebody somebody that could add something to the program. There's a reason that he's stuck around Al Pinkins once in there. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. And, you know, yeah, I mean, if, if he's good, then it's a, it's a nine-man rotation for sure. Um, Niles Lane is the other guy that I think just the muscle that he's added. Um, and, you know, that will help with confidence um, because he is stronger. Some of that baby fat is gone. And maybe he feels a little better about attacking the rim because, you know, it's one thing to do it in practice. It's another thing to see, like, a 6'6 McDonald's All-American standing in front of you, and you're Niles Lane, and you go, I think I can beat this guy at the dribble because I played at Russell Catholic, and they're really good. But, you know, maybe I can't. And I do think Niles was tentative offensively last season, and that's something that Mike White really said kept him off the floor because defensively, I mean, Eric Fawcett, uh, GatorCountry.com, put out some ridiculous stats about Niall Slade as a one-on-one defender with like tough assignments too, um, you know, it wasn't defense keeping him off the floor. So he's going to play and I do think it will help him. The next question we had, uh, was from Jeremy Fennell. What do you think of the overall changes to the coaching staff? Um, the, wh- what, what will it change about Florida? And I think one thing that it will change real quick, I usually, because I like, I know Eric has written articles about some of this at Gator Country. One thing I think it could change is some just some minor things offensively. Um, and I alluded to some of them earlier, Eric, when I said it will be harder for Florida to pick and roll this year with without Trey Mann. Well, what does that mean? That means Florida's going to have to do some stuff differently uh, in their half-court sets. I do think Eric Pastrana um, can help them do that because Oklahoma State did run people off of screens a little bit more than the Gators did.
1: Yeah, it's so tough to quantify assistant coaching. Um, as much as I would love to tr- uh, try and have have tried, um, but you know what, Florida, or I should say, Mike White had been with his assistants for for a really long time, and there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, we love Jordan Mincy on the podcast, we love Darius Nichols on the podcast, we love Dusty May on the podcast, but I, I do think at some point it was just it might just be good to get some new uh some new voices in that room some new outlooks on offense and uh just bring in some fresh ideas because again we just haven't been super stoked with the way that the team has scored the ball um or ran offense the last couple of years so uh, i do think that oklahoma state is a really interesting offensive team because you know i pointed out some of the stuff i tweeted out some of their sets that i really liked last year but the thing about oklahoma state is you know i i tweeted out all these sets that i really liked that they ran but if you go the year prior they ran something totally different. And I, I can kind of tell that they really, you know, Boyton, the head coach there really, uh, really kind of, to catered his offense to the players he had on on his roster and that changed really drastically year to year and his offense changed really drastically year to year so you definitely see that he had the knowledge and was willing to try out a bunch of different things and i'd have to imagine you know eric pastrana would have a whole lot of different ideas of of how to score just based on that and you also look at pastrana who's coached at so many different levels yeah he coached um coached at florida atlanta with May he was at oklahoma state playing high major basketball and he was like a junior college coach so like i'm sure he picked up things in junior college that a lot of division one assistants wouldn't think of and he has new ideas from there so i I, i'm hoping that eric pastrana brings a lot of kind of fresh ideas i'm hoping misteen brings a whole lot of fresh ideas so it's tough exactly to gauge assistant coaching other than like, hey, here's Pastrana who came in to get elite players and got one right away, which is um, much easier said than done. So huge props to him. But, um, and, and again, even then if Florida comes out and they've got an awesome half court offense and it's totally changed, um, I'll probably look at it and say, well, it's probably at least partially due to the assistance because we didn't see many changes in six years, and and now we're seeing changes. But at the same time, it's still going to be tough to quantify. You know, if someone says, oh, so what percentage of that was was, uh, was you know Akeem Udoh and how much of that was you know Pastrana, we'll we'll never know. So still still going to be tough to quantify. But uh, man, I'm hoping they bring some fresh ideas to the uh, to the offensive room. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think they need to. Um, you know, I still think Florida needs we did a whole show on this we're not i'm not gonna dive too much into it i again but i do think you know if you can get off ball screening action for jones he's proven in the b1g that he can really score off those it's just a marvelous shooter and also um you know anybody that watched duke how they always had that one guy that they could move off screens you know, one of the beauties of Mike Shesky basketball was that. And then what does that do? It opens driving lanes, right? Like other guys can then attack the bucket. So in Florida has plenty of those guys. Uh, Eric mentioned Flan Fleming. I, I think, you know, we've seen these videos of CJ Felder shooting threes and it's actually caused me to lose some sleep at night because I'm just like, no, just go to the basket, big fella. Um, You know, uh, Anthony Derugy, another guy who, like, you know, Eric, how many times last year did Anthony Derugy take the ball to the 10 and something good happened as opposed to just settling for, you know, his 31% accurate, that was a guess, uh, three-point jump shot. Eric's going to pull it up and tell me how wrong I am. Um, So, you know, I think think there's that. Um, Justin Fortner asked the next question. Uh, Eric, do you agree with the take? He uh, knew this was coming. <laughs> uh, we got Keck over saving a scholarship for a midseason transfer, especially with us already having its project big on the roster in Jason Chitobo. Woo, guns
1: blazing to Justin Fortner, longtime listener. Fair question though. That's funny you said it from Justin because at first I thought maybe you were just directing the question at me, and now I'm guessing he actually did tweet me by name. Um, but yeah, apparently you know Eric Fawcett, junior college basketball transfer um, expert, uh, which is you know it's 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 one of those things where I, again, like Neil kind of mentioned, we're not huge recruiting guys here on the show. Um, it's just not totally where my interests and, and and skills lie. But but here's the thing: is you know when when Florida takes a high school kid, it's like. You know, we try to find clips here and there. We try to find highlights. Then, you know, maybe if we're lucky, we can get a couple of games. Um, with these junior college players, I mean, I can pull up every single one of their games. I can look up every single one of their advanced stats, and I can do an exact deep dive as if it was a high major player. So, yeah, it definitely led to me having some stronger opinions on Osio Osifo. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to have some on Gadkik. I mean, okay, so just, I'll come out and say it now. No, I don't agree with the take. I also don't think it was an egregious move. I don't think it was a huge error. That was something that with osio Cephal, I kind of planted my flag that I thought it was a totally a bad take and wasn't really listening to arguments for the other side of it. That's not the case with this one. I again, I don't like it, but I don't despise it. But but I mean, here's here here's the thing. I mean, one, you're going to see more mid-season transfers than ever. So I think if ever a time to keep a scholarship open, uh this is the time to do it. And Here's the thing too. So so Gakick just completed his first year of junior college. So he could have gone back for another year before Florida would have even taken him and or, or could have even taken him. And we see that all the time with junior college transfers, getting commitments and having them go back for another year of junior college, um, which was the case with Osifo. And that's an option that Florida could have gone down. And then I guess they're going to bank on oh, we can develop him in one year better than junior college. And yeah, I would certainly hope that a year of development to Florida would be better than a year of development to junior college. But unfortunately, Florida's track record of, of development, um, especially when it comes to bigs, is is not totally there. And I hope that Sarah in Tampa doesn't come at me for that one. I know she's been defending Florida's development of players on Twitter recently, and I, I I unfortunately disagree with it slightly. But we love Sarah in Tampa. This is a pro Sarah in Tampa podcast, undoubtedly. So, uh, but you know, here's the other thing. I, I don't know if this is a fair kind of comparison, but it's a little out there, but you know, a couple of or a month ago, whatever NBA draft and Josh Primo gets taken 12th overall shocking everyone. And then the San Antonio Spurs come out and say, Oh, well, we we think we have a market inefficiency here because we thought he was going to go back to college and then next year he's going to be the he's going to be kind of worthy of the twelfth overall pick. So we're doing wise to get ahead of that and taking him at the twelfth overall pick this year because we think in a year he would be the twelfth overall pick. And I didn't agree with that logic at all because the chances of him becoming a twelfth overall pick, which very few people are. Um, are very low but they are assuming all the risk by taking him a year early so the market inefficiency would be if you could draft him at 35th not 12th so i kind of look at the same situation like that with florida will gat turn out to be a good like high major player potentially but florida is assuming all the risk by taking him right now they could take him they could have said hey we want will hopefully take you in another year after junior college. And then if it doesn't work out for him at junior college, they don't end up taking him. They could even say, hey, go play at Stetson. And if you're good enough, guess what? You can transfer to Florida. So these long-term plays on, on high upside guys, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, you could take him now, but you could also take him in a year or two when you know for sure he's good or not. So Florida taking him now is them banking on their development system, which unfortunately hasn't yet proven to work. So to me, it's a, it's kind of a, low ceiling low floor kind of play it's not super risky but yeah there's going to be high there's going to be some really good players transferring mid- mid-season that unfortunately florida is not going to be in the conversation for so i guess we'll well i should say well we don't know exactly we'll again see with the keontae johnson situation but yeah so i I'm, I'm getting long-winded here i'm dominating the conversation it's not even much of a conversation just rant so neil you better you better take over there's all there's all my thoughts
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we both thought the Osayo Sifo take was pretty weird Um, and that, you know, they should have emphasized uh, P.J. Hall with his All-American sister playing volleyball. It just didn't make any sense, uh, quite honestly. Um, And I don't think P.J. Hall would have been another guy who's really skilled offensively that wouldn't have had some of the issues that Jason Jatobo had, who's already on the roster. Now they're not. P.J. Hall's not really a center. He's more of a power forward, but, um, in any event, uh, a very strange take don't dislike this one. But like I said, on the last podcast, I was actually optimistic that they would, um, keep a spot open because of the portal. So I was a little surprised, not even a little surprised. I was very surprised at this. And I also thought that the, uh, that the other kind of surprise scholarship made sense that it was a, a, a wing, with a high amount of talent that had had an injury and that appeared to be better. That made sense um, to me. And that just played really, really well at one of the most elite youth tournaments in the country. Like all of that made sense. There's none of this um, in this situation, Eric. And so that uh, troubled me a little bit as well. Um, Yeah.
1: I, I, I do want to jump in with one thing because I, I made some comments regarding the fact that I, I thought it was pretty weird that like, so, so one of his teammates is uh, just an awesome guard. He's going to Oregon state. And then there is um, he, another one of his teammates is awesome. And now I'm blanking on where he's going, but um, I think Cleveland state, Cleveland state, I think uh, a big man that he played next to. So he had two really good players. One was like one of the best junior college players in the country and they were a really good team. And Um, he was, uh, you know, someone who started and played good minutes on a really good team next to a high major and a good mid-major team, um, or, you know, pro players. So it was kind of weird that he wasn't getting, like, he wasn't getting, like, well, I shouldn't say high major offers, just any division one offers. I will say I have since found out that there seemed to be a little bit of ambiguity regarding whether he was, whether or not he was going to qualify academically, to which I found out that he was kind of always going to. Be you know clear academically, but uh, you know you see this. Uh, this is a unfortunate kind of thing with junior college basketball. Sometimes the coaches aren't uh, you know if they've got a player they think they can keep around for another year versus have them go Division One. Sometimes they all they aren't always the most forthcoming with the information that that player is going to qualify academically. I think that might have been the case here. So. Um, as much as I did make some comments of like, wow, it's really weird that he didn't have many offers considering he should have had a whole lot of eyes on him. I am going to guess a lot of teams didn't think he was someone that was going to qualify. And I know that Florida is extremely confident he's going to qualify and there won't be any problems there.
0: Well, there you go. That's interesting. Um, didn't And I didn't know that uh, chestnut um, Tanner Lefevre kind of, Let's let Tanner, who's a really good podcast listener with some really good insight, quite often uh, says regarding the latest JUCO take with thirteen hoops scallies: Is there really even a downside to this take? If he blossoms and make an impact, great. If not, look at roster turnover. There's no rollover like football's twenty five class limit spots will be available next year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. That the only thing is it's the mid-season transfer that's immediately eligible that, you know, you lose a shot on or the mid-season transfer that's not immediately eligible, but is really, really good uh, that you lose a shot at would, would be my
1: only uh, thought there. Yeah. I mean, I got lots of thoughts there, to be honest with you. I mean, here's here's a couple of things. First of all, I think about the allotments of coaches times during practice and away from it, having a player that is suddenly going to be, you know, that, this huge project. I mean, I think about the amount of time that Preston Green is going to spend with them. I think about all the, all the time that Al Pinkins is going to have him doing the Mike and drill and be working on him on the low block. I mean, every rep that he's getting is someone that your other guys are not. So, so this idea of like, oh, you throw a guy at the end of your roster as your 13th scholarship and you, you know, you see what happens. It's like, that's not really the case. I mean, there's a lot of coaching hours that, And, and, you know, there's a lot of investment that goes into every player on your roster. So it's not really a situation where, you know, you throw him on the back of the bench and you you just see what happens. And, you know, it's it's no, it's like, oh, you've got him on now. Guess what? Eric Pastrana is going to be one on one with him for or, you know, probably Al Pinkins for, you know, a, a, a lot of time. And he's going to it's it's like hey sorry colin Castleton, who's trying to be in the nba next year you're not going to be going against cj felder who's another potential nba guy this rep you're going against the the freshman from junior college um so you know it's it's some sometimes it's guys not getting the best reps and so so again i i maybe that's me being over dramatic but I just think there's a lot that goes into having any player on your roster. And I think about, especially one that's going to be a project is like, Hey, every rep he's getting every minute that's spent with a coach, trying to figure out how to develop that player. It's a minute and it's a rep that's not being spent with another player. So I just don't think it's like a zero cost kind of situation. And speaking of cost, I think that there's some serious sunk cost fallacy that comes to takes like this. Like the idea is, Oh, you take him. And if it works out great, if not, he's gone. We've kind of seen with Florida, whoa, they take Osayo Cifo for a year of junior college. He didn't get better in that year of junior college. They could have said, hey, we're not taking you. But no, it seemed like they had a little bit of sunk cost. You know, where oh, we're, you know, we invested in him. We've got to see it through. So they gave him another year and wasn't the best take. Would have loved PJ Hall. I think we kind of saw that with Gorzak Yak. Loved the guy and I'm so glad he was able to have a a great last season of college basketball, um, not at Florida. But man, he was someone that Florida just kept investing in, kept keeping keeping him on the roster. There's a whole lot of players that Florida could have gotten in that roster spot, but they didn't because they held on to Gorjok Gak. Maybe that's intense loyalty, but maybe that's sunk cost fallacy and thinking that, oh, we've invested so much in this player. We've got to see it through. Um, you, you, you know, you saw that with Dante Bassett as well, I'd say. Someone that Florida just like, hung on to until really the last possible moments until those guys grad transferred out because it seemed like they were like, okay, we've got so much invested. We've got to see this through and see what happens. So I would love to say, Oh, you know, they throw them on the end of the bench. Like, like, um, like Tanner was saying, no, no rolling rosters, no scholarship limits every couple of, or whatever, um, over a couple of years. Um, but I just, I don't have a ton of confidence that if there's one year on campus and they don't feel confident about it, I can't really see them cutting bait because we didn't see that with the last couple of players. So, um, yeah, didn't know if I'd be referencing sunk cost fallacy on the podcast, but here we are.
0: You know, I just love
1: that there's
0: like these types of listener questions can evoke passion <laughs> of this sort or like just referencing like Sarah in Tampa Bay getting really mad at Twitter trolls and just deciding like she was just going to go off on Mike White development and then listing like only guards. And like, I wasn't even going to be too hard on it. Like, I feel like, well, I guess she put Igbunu. I mean, that's debatable take though. Um, So like, yeah, I mean, guards, certainly Mike White has developed guards uh, at a high level and Devin Robinson. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. We could get into that too, but we don't need to. Uh, Insinigator ask, uh, who do you think will make the most and the least? Nil money. That's a
1: really good question. I, I like it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, who do I think? Uh, I, I mean, Florida definitely doesn't have like the really clear star this year. I mean, I think we'd probably consensus would be Con Castleton is, is the best player on the roster. You know, he came through with his t-shirt. I think he maybe needs to workshop that design a little bit, but uh, we'll see what else he comes with throughout the, throughout the year. But I mean, he's going to put together an awesome season. So maybe some NIL stuff rolls in Um, the guy that I think might end up making the most or, And again, I don't really have any knowledge of this because there hasn't been a ton of major announcements. Um, But I mean, Myron Jones is a player that already had his own podcast at Penn State. Um, So it's kind of clear that he has an interest in media has an interest in marketing himself and has a great personality. And I just, you know, people should definitely check out his podcast because that's cool that there's a cater player with the podcast, quite frankly, I think that's awesome. So um, definitely check that out. But yeah, yeah I would say just see, he, he's the one who seems to have the interest in marketing himself. And uh, for that reason, and I think, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be a guy that puts up points and is a key player for the Gators. So I'll say, uh, I'll say Myron Jones by the end of this year.
0: Myself, I keep doing it to myself, um, to side. I'm going with Keontae Johnson, uh, being, being the most NIL money, uh, because he's Keontae Johnson. <laughs> uh, and you know, I, I don't mind that. I think Myra Jones is a good shout. I think Colin Castleton is a good shout. Nobody said, uh, Kwayce Reeves, like if he has a huge freshman year, everybody loves a freshman that can score, um, Ed has a big smile so he could lease an IL money man I don't want to like do that to anybody you know I
1: don't know Alex Klatsky right, cool. he he's been working it man I think Alex Klatsky might be uh, be ahead of some of the other guys he's been so he's an entrepreneur been I mean, here's the thing. I, I would love – I, I think Kwasi Reeves is going to be, you know, uh, someone who's going to be in the NBA one day, and that's someone who people could latch on to. And I think that there should be kids going to a barbershop in Gainesville and saying, I want to get the Kwasi Reeves, and um, they should be able to, put, <laughs> to dye his hair and, and – and, put it up in the braids like that. and um, But uh, the thing is, I think that Greaves is someone who's so locked into just basketball right now. Um, he's someone who's always been so focused, someone who works so hard in the gym. He's someone that I could honestly see, you know, whoever being like, hey, do you want to do this small NIL deal? And he'll be like, oh, you. sorry, I can't meet tomorrow at seven. That's when I'm putting in my 2,000 shots on the shooting machine. So I, I don't know. I just, Kwasi Reeves definitely has the talent, definitely has the look. I just think that he's so focused on ball that in case there's, unless there's like a huge deal that comes out, he's just solely focused on on basketball. So that's the only reason why I think Kwasi Reeves might not be. But hey, I, I, I hope for him that he ends up you know, I would like, Quacey Reeves is one of the favorites on the podcast here. I, I would love for to get a shirt of his or get some kind of merch from him. And um, like I would from all the players, really.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that sounds pretty sweet. And um, if you haven't listened to the Myron Jones podcast, like, you know, definitely check it out. Guys got ideas. It's interesting. <laughs> um, you know, there are worse ways to spend uh, a little bit of time. Um, let's see. We're we're just kind of rolling through these, which is that's always good. Uh, let's see. Oh, I got one that one that was actually directed to me from uh, John Schaefer, who asked what my dream recruiting class is. Ooh. Uh, um, well, there's Renal now, so I guess that that makes sense that I was asked. So for me, it would be uh, four a four person class, and it would be Renal. Bryce Sintaba, uh, Noah Clowney, um, and then I don't know, choose name here, um, but preferably somebody that plays point guard.
1: That's a great class. I'm glad that, that direction that question was directed at the recruiting expert on the podcast, Neil Blackman. <laughs> but as you know, as, as much as uh, Neil mentioned, we're not you know huge recruiting guys. Neil does know more than me, but yeah, Sensaba just built like a tank um, at at the wing. I mean, you're never gonna there's never going to be too many wings. I think in a class. I, I think like you said, Neil, um, getting a point guard would be interesting. I do think that. Denzel Aberdeen, again, he's someone who's like a three-star, but I think 24-7 still hasn't even ranked him, like or is one of the recruiting services hasn't even ranked him. But again, I think that to me that speaks probably if, you know, Florida really likes him. So it kind of speaks to me, oh, you get that guy and then you get grad transfer point guard to come in and, and, and start in 2022. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, Noah Clowney, definitely a great name. That's another one that, you know, when I was thinking centers earlier that, that Florida is trying to get um, he's a key name there. So that would be a, that'd be a great get. I think Neil, you have the the top names on the board. I think that uh, your dream board is honestly probably the same as Florida's dream board right now. And Hey, uh, Pastrana one for one. So let's keep it rolling. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm still, like I said, with the sense of all stuff
0: and the the Gators fandom in that background, like I'm kind of confident about that. I, I think that's a guy that Florida will hit. Um, I am far less confident that like Noah Clowney comes to Florida, but I love that the Gators are, are trying, um, you know, and it does feel a little more like a couple years ago when Florida was in on everybody. So I do think Eric Pastrana uh, in particular has brought some juice. Um, and I, I think that's great. Um, undersized five asked any update on Keontae Johnson? No. Nope. I uh, wish there, wish I had more, to say about that, but I don't, um, Eric.
1: Yeah, I I, I I, would actually, I think I'd like to make my official Eric Fawcett statement on the Keontae Johnson situation. Um, I, like I, I I, officially have nothing to say, I think on the Keontae Johnson situation. I, I don't think it's really worth asking me or Neil. And, and I'll tell you why. I mean, me and Neil... Are, we're we not searching for information on this one. Like again, I know people are tweeting at us asking, "Oh, do you have any updates on Keontae Johnson?" Right. Here's like here's the thing. I I am guessing this is the same for you, Neil. But I have at no point ever since the first day that he collapsed tried to get information from anyone. I will be honest. And maybe this is me not doing my reporter's duty or analyst duty or whatever it is. But I have not once reached out to Keontae Johnson's parents or the coaches or anyone like I just, I like to be quite honest with you. I'm just not interested. So, I mean, you can tweet at us and say, Hey, do you have a Keontae Johnson update? But the the fact of the matter is I, I won't have an update for you because, and, and again, there's been some good data or good information that I've heard and I've chosen not to share it because and I didn't go out looking for it. I was told it, but I just, I just thought, you know what? Keontae Johnson's family is pretty clear that they wanted to be the ones to communicate it. And I totally want to respect that. So the fact of the matter is it, I'm one not asking anyone for information, so I'm not going to get it. And if that information is volunteered to me, I'm not going to share it. So the fact of the matter is there's, there's going to be nothing that I ever have to share on this. You're going to hear it from Keontae or you're going to hear it from the caters first. So I, and I'm not even like, a, I'm not annoyed or offended that people ask me. I totally understand why I, I'm just letting people know that I'm just not going to be the guy to, to, to provide any information. I'm, I'm never going to have an update. Cause if I get good information, I'm probably, I, or I can tell you, I'm, I'm not going to share it. So uh, um, I, I'm just going to be like the rest of everyone. And I'm going to wait and hear the, probably from Keontae himself whenever he announces.
0: Had to get, had to get a fun podcast picture. Oh, um, <laughs> nice. yeah. Uh, same way I have reached out to the family, um, at no point in time in, in, my very brief conversations with mom and dad did i ask about his health status Hmm. other than to say i hope he's doing well i'm praying for him uh i reached out and wished him a merry christmas a while ago uh i think i reached out during the ncaa tournament and said something along the lines of like i love seeing Keontae cheering these guys on it's just so great to see him on the bench um i have never asked about it, and and like Eric, I'm not going to. So uh, I guess it's probably good to kind of get that out of the way. It doesn't mean it's a bad question, of course. No, like, no, no. A reasonable, it's a totally reasonable thing to ask. It's just not something that, like, I know about, I guess. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I'm not really looking for that answer. Gator1996 uh, wanted to know what you think Florida's – best defensive rotation
1: will be oh good question um, yeah that that actually is a really interesting question because i think that uh it's not it's not necessarily going to be the best is the best offensive five because again i'm going to say that that is not tyree appleby um on the floor even though you know he's our starter i think he's going to be there in crunch time but uh i'm guessing that me and neil don't have him on our all defensive team so um it's also a little It's it's also a little tough to say with, like, I'll be interested to see what Quasey Reeves is like defensively because he's got the length and the athleticism, but I just generally think freshmen are not going to be great defenders, and Quasey um, Reeves definitely could prove me wrong. I'm not suggesting I think he's going to be a bad defender. Just not totally sure exactly what that's going to be, but I think uh, you've got to say Colin Castleton on the floor, guarding pick and rolls, protecting the rim, one of the best shot blockers in the country. You've got to have him on the floor. I think that, you know, Neil, we're both going to have um, we're both gonna have Niles Lane out there with his length. I think that uh, we're also probably hmm, we're probably gonna look at. I, you know, I I would still say Anthony DeRuji, and I know he fouled a couple three point shooters and against Oral Roberts that unfortunately really spun the game, and it wasn't because of those shots. It was because it took DeRuji off the floor for the last nine and a half minutes, but I still think that he's going to be one of the best uh, defenders. And I also think that CJ Felder is going to be one of the best defenders. So that's, I guess that's deruji at the three Felder at the four. And uh, I guess to uh, um, to round it out, I would say Brandon McKissick, all league defender. I don't think he was uh, as good of a defender at uh, UMKC as his kind of reputation suggested, but I still think he was a really good defender. So I'd say it's probably McKissick lane, deruji Elder Castleton for me, if you're just like, you know, need one stop and you're in that situation, can you get your five on the floor? Uh, Neil, I'm interested what uh, your five would be.
0: Yeah. So I would go McKissick uh, for certain, uh, share your sentiment that not, you know, certainly it's cool that he's all league defender or defensive player of the league in, in, in his defensive player of the year in his league. Um, You know, I'm not sure that he'll be like defensive player of the year. Good in the sec that's okay still would have him out there um you know i could see situations where mike white as long as niles lane is scoring is pretty comfortable with that as a rotation at guard too even if it's Lane at the two or the three and he plays three guards or whatever you want to classify lane as i do think that that niles gets out there i don't know uh what reeves um, will offer defensively certainly he does substitute Length. He's going to bring length that the Gators lost in in Scotty Lewis, and, and even though Trey Mann is not particularly long, he was tall. Um, so we'll see about that. Uh, so mine, I guess, would be McKissick, Lane, uh, Flan Fleming, who was Defensive Player of the Year in his conference, um, which is I think astounding because his team was terrible, and he was still Defensive Player of the Year. Tells you that he probably is a pretty good defender. Um, the other thing I think he's going to be able to do, and I, I'm going to, I'm interested to hear Eric's takes on Flan Fleming's defense. But one thing I think Flan Fleming will do, and and part of defense is rebounding. Quite honestly, like Florida did not finish possessions on the glass very well at all last season. I think they finished 280 something. The defensive rebounding rate that's not good. Uh, it's even more frightening when you consider that Florida had like one of the best rim protectors in the country. My other two guys, CJ Felder and Colin Castus and now give Florida two of the best rim protectors in the country. Um, so you really got to hope that Flam Fleming can like get down and help rebound uh, that Brandon McKissick is at least serviceable on the glass. And I, we know Niles Lane can rebound. We saw some of it last year, um, but I do think replacing Trey Mann as a rebounder, Um, is something that Florida's got to do because they've got to get better on the glass regardless of how good they are protecting the rim.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you saw this video or saw it in action, but I just earlier today watched um, this, like, middle linebacker on Fordham who had 31 tackles uh, against Nebraska. It's just an amazing video just watching him just, like, get everything as defense around him is crumbling. (laughs) And Flan Fleming on his 2-18 and Charleston Southern team that only so won the two games by, you know, a combined two or three points. Um, there's definitely some moments where I was reminded I thought that. He was a little bit like that Charleston, or sorry, that uh, that Fordham middle linebacker who recorded 31 tackles against Nebraska as they repeatedly ran the ball like 10 yards down the throat of the defense to be taken down by him. Anyways, incredible video on YouTube if you want to watch all his tackles. Just saw it earlier and just loved it and just thought of it. But um, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be interesting to see also as well. Just like you normally see veteran players defend a little bit better. Especially the other thing to consider is like if you're thinking who is your best defensive rotation. That's usually not what you're going to roll out eight minutes into the first quarter that's like special situation end of game need to stop and in those situations as well special situations that's also kind of where you'd like to have veteran players who maybe have been in those situations or can make the quick adjustments so i mean banking on veteran players like you did neil totally reasonable
0: thank you sir uh, I, I, um, I you know, I aim for reasonability. I also aim for, like, Mike White and the staff thinking if we can put two guys that were defensive players a year on the floor with C.J. Felder, who Leonard Hamilton said was the most underrated player in the ACC <laughs> when, when we chatted recently. That was, like, you know, all but, you know, being – Openly complimentary of the fact that Florida finally had a dude like that on their roster. Um, You know, like trying to be as gentlemanly as Leonard can, can be without throwing shade. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, look, I'm excited about what Florida can be in stretches defensively this season, Eric. I think they're going to be much better on that side of the basketball. Got to get buckets from that group somehow. If you roll out that group, they got to score, which means either Niles Lane has to attack the rim and find buckets or Brandon McKissick has to find buckets, or more likely just Flynn Fleming is going to do whatever he wants to try to score baskets and hope that that Colin Castleton uh, gets some putbacks and things like that. Or maybe Colin is just sweet string music on the perimeter.
1: Yeah, time will tell. I mean, C.J. Felder, he's someone who has, wants to shoot threes, and Con Castleton no. someone as well, so uh, we'll see. You know, Neil, I'm going to tease two questions that I don't want your answer to now, but they're coming. I'm hoping to do um, the, the preseason over-unders like we did before last season. Um, so I've been you know, mentally working on those. But two of the questions, don't give your answer now. One of them is going to be a repeat that I think is going to be really interesting. That's just, hey, is Florida going to be better in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency or defensive efficiency? That one is going to be interesting. I think you can make an argument for both. And then I, of course, I'm going to ask who is going to, going to have more... Three point makes CJ Felder, Con Castleton, and I know that one's just gonna <laughs> keep you up at night thinking. So don't give your don't give your opinion now, but Neil, that question's coming before the season, and you will have to answer it. So uh, just that's what I'm looking forward <laughs> to. Can I
0: just respond with Carrie Blackshear shooting threes and Israel <laughs> GIFs? <laughs> you,
1: you, you can also you can also push. I suppose that would be like a tie at uh, at, at zero or something like that. So uh, we'll, <laughs> will you get GIF <laughs> Three-pointer in France. Carrie Black's here, gif Three-pointer
0: in Israel. Um, yeah. Uh, look, I know that it is already football season in Tallahassee and in Knoxville, but y'all got already basketball season. I ruined my own joke. It's already basketball season in Tallahassee and Knoxville, oh, but yeah. it's, football, <laughs> it's football season in Gainesville still so we appreciate you guys listening we will limit this to an hour some really great listener questions um thank you for for all of those eric um it's a pleasure my friend and we will be back soon
1: yeah, this is, uh, this is one more thing I wanted to say on the podcast because I forget who did. It was one of our, our long-term listeners so I I'd hope that he would uh, or she would identify themselves by tweeting at me in the show. But, you know, it was a couple of years ago where where someone said that maybe we should close the show with a Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts. And, you know, the last couple of weeks, and I loved it at the time, it just, you know, never never really caught. But, you know, the last couple of weeks, I've made my grand return to the gym after things have gotten a little bit more back to normal here. So, you know, I was coaching at a couple basketball camps and all uh, also, some other basketball projects I have going on in my life is making some presentations. And I realized, you know, three quarters of the way through that I use the term closeouts or attacking closeouts like for the 400th time. So uh, with my excitement of returning back to the podcast and the excitement of returning back to talking about basketball and a lot of areas of my life, I will close out this podcast. I'm not saying we're going to do every podcast, but there's, there's going to be times for it. But this time I will say go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.